Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times Books podcast. And I'm in conversation today with Natalie Watson, one of our freelance contributors, And we're going to be talking about the book we've chosen for this month's book club title. This month's pick is The Island of Missing Trees by Alif Shafak, the Turkish writer. And Natalie, I wonder if you could start by just telling us a little bit about the story of this book, please. Yes, thank you, Sarah. Um, And thank you for inviting me to um, talk about this book from one of my favourite writers, Alif Shafak, a modern Turkish novelist who spends a lot of her time in in London as well and has written about living between countries, living between cultures and also about carrying with oneself a world or a, um, a life that no longer exists. And I think that's a starting point for this novel is that we have Ada, who's um, a girl of... Cypriot origin, who, you know, to all intents and purposes, a London teenager Mm. who goes to a comprehensive school. Her mother has recently died, as we gradually find out. She lives with her father, with whom she has a slightly complicated relationship, or father and daughter. I think they're just trying to navigate what it now means, that they are now the only two members in this nuclear family. She's never been to Cyprus, and then one day, just before the holidays, the history teacher asks the young people in the, in her class to carry out a research project to find an older person or somebody of a different generation and ask them <clears throat> what it was like when they were young. And Ada takes this on. And then there is the, the scream in the middle of the classroom and we have a bit of cyberbullying going on here that um, uh, somebody has recorded her scream and, and it's gone viral and she doesn't actually want to go to school anymore and is deeply traumatised by this. Then her aunt comes to stay with the family if we look at chronological uh, at the novel chronologically but what gradually emerges is the story of her parents who were about her age, so about 16, um, in the early 1970s in Cyprus. So we have Kostas, who's of a Greek background, and um, Daphne, um, who's from a Turkish local family. They fall in love as childhood sweethearts and the place where they can meet um, across their cultural boundaries, because neither of their families would actually approve, um, is um, the Happy Fig, um, which is a tavern um, on the outskirts of Nicosia, <laughs> run by um, Yusuf and Yorios. Um, Yusuf um, is Turkish, um, Yorios uh, is uh, Greek. Um, they are partners and not just in, in business. So we have another layer of discrimination um, there, not only the mutual prejudice between the two societies, but um, obviously also homophobia in the extreme. But they run this enormously successful and welcoming tavern. And one day a bomb explodes 
and nobody actually knows where they are. So we have another, a story is told by human beings from the point of view of different characters and it moves through the novel. But alongside there are interludes or um, interjections, chapters that are written by the fig tree and who has the long view of, um, in, in I grew up speaking German and um, in German there's a saying that you don't transplant an old tree which means old people should mm, stay mm. where they are and they will never be able to settle anywhere else. But here we have a, an old tree who has been transplant, uh, that has been transplanted um, where uh, Costas, who's a botanist and, and a biologist, um, has taken a, um, a cutting and has planted it in the garden where Costas and Daphne live in London. Mm. At an earlier stage... It becomes clear that although they were childhood sweethearts in this time at this time of increasing militarization um, of Cyprus, they actually end up separating or being separated. Um, and Costa's mother sends him to London to an uncle, but he tries to keep in touch with Daphne, and um, they have consummated their relationship. But what he doesn't know is that she actually got pregnant and mm. had a had a child so he writes to her and she receives the letters but and just writes back don't contact me mm. don't mm. don't get in touch um but they do eventually several decades later costas goes back to cyprus and finds Daphne, and she's now working for the committee um for missing persons and they're finding and and this still happens um this organization still exists and they're, they're finding mass graves of people, often through tip-offs of older mm. people, of people who um, you know, are long in the grip of dementia, who will say, yes, mm. Sort of mm. behind this tree in that part yes. of the village, there, there is a mass grave. So, yes, so we have the story of this family, the memory, but the, for me, the topic or the theme of the novel was about trauma and mm. trauma in the third generation mm. Mm. Um, as well. And how mm. it gets handed down. Yeah. And mm. yes, and I think um, you mentioned Ada's scream. I think that's a mm. hugely... Yeah. It's When you're reading it, it's very early on in the book. It's both shocking and moving and powerful. Cause she just... Yes somehow all this pain mm. she doesn't know where it's coming from does she she just she just yeah. sort of screams um did you find her a sympathetic character well i mean she starts out as a you know normal teenager mm. who's not really interested in mm. anything who's a bit lost um mm. who's struggling with her relationship with her peers with her parents she's lost her mother um in slightly Odd circumstances. Mm. Um, did she commit suicide? Or um, you know, the mother was an alcoholic, mm. um, you know, but she's also from from a Turkish background, um, also a workaholic. So you know, how much attention mm. did she actually have mm. from from her mother? And gradually, <clears throat> as her relationship with Mayim, with the um, uh, sister, uh, her mother's sister, who comes to stay 
in the house in London and is supposed to be a kind of mother figure for her, teaches her to cook and gradually tells mm. her the story of her parents, but also yes. her own story of her broken marriage and um, takes her to an exorcist. Um, so I think we see a change in, in Ada, mm. that she becomes more sensitive and then is able to go back to school. So I think... Uh, yeah, we could say she grew on me. But, yes, mm, and and I thought yeah. she was very realistic, the sort of bolshy, kind of, you know, rather cross teenager. Yes. And she has had a tough time. I, I found her rather appealing. Uh, there was yeah. that sort of mixture of sort of um, vulnerability and toughness that, that, you know, many teenagers go through that. Um, yes. So I thought that was that was appealing. And um, you write, just to go back a step, you write in your introductory essay that... Um, Tens of thousands of people go to Cyprus every year mm. in search of, you know, sunshine and beaches and so on. But actually, the conflict isn't isn't that well known. But it was absolutely it was one of the you know defining um, conflicts of the twentieth century, wasn't mm. it? And I, I think you've been there quite recently, haven't you? Yes, I was there um, last spring, early summer, and um, obviously I had read a bit about the conflict partly because I wanted to travel both in um, uh, the the southern part of the the Greek speaking part of the the island which is where most of the British tourists go um, I flew to Lanaka um, I visited some Anglican churches uh, both in Lanaka and in, in Nicosia in, in the Greek part um, but also to, to Paphos with its stunning mosaic some of the best um, preserved mosaics of the classical world um, Aphrodite's rock um, but I also wanted to travel in, in northern Cyprus um, and that actually becomes quite complicated um, because one always has to cross the green line mm. um, and, and go through an official border crossing point in the centre of Nicosia, which is very easy now. Um, I think in the piece I say it's a bit like Berlin, but not quite. Yes. Um, and uh, so, but this, um, there is this very clear demarcation zone in the middle of, of the island. It's the last Nicosia where a lot of this novel mm. is set, um, <laughs> is, is the last divided capital of um of the world uh, so the conflict is is always there yeah um but of course it's also always there for us and, and this comes out in the island of missing trees that there is actually quite a large Cypriot community in London um people who for one reason or another fled this conflict in the 1970s um, their children to all intents and purposes mm. have grown mm. up as Brits or in in this society, and the conflict was ne probably never spoken mm. about again. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's something that's unique in relation to Cyprus. Yeah. Um, I mean, this topic of trauma and intergenerational trauma, epigenetics, um, uh, is is very popular at the yes. moment. And Elif Shafak picks up the theory very well of the different generation that we now have the second and third generation, who are suddenly reacting to experiences they cannot mm, mm, possibly mm, mm. ever have had. Yes. And I think that's where the scream yes. comes in. Um, a lot of this research comes out of the post-Holocaust yes. um, period where um, and the um, generations after the Second World War 
where um, suddenly people were having dreams of um, being, you know, in a in a bunker uh, and the city being bombarded. Mm. That had never mm. happened mm. to them, mm. but it had happened to to their parents. Yes. So there's this silent story um, being carried in a body. I mean, one of the main books. Um, of trauma research is, um, uh, by Bessel van der Kolk yes. is, is called The Body Keeps yes. the Score yeah. and I think we see yes. some of that some of that here yes because mm. both her parents just they just want to leave it all behind and they think they can don't they they just so she she doesn't know anything about her, her Cypriot family either, which is fascinating when she meets this aunt she didn't even know she existed did she well she's angry <clears throat> that the aunt didn't come yeah. to her mother's funeral and uh, I mean that was something again that I found very interesting, that the uh, Daphne, um, Ada's mother, says to the father when Daphne is very small, um, "Let's not burden her mm, with mm, with mm. this. You know, we want to leave it behind." Yes. Um, but actually devotes all her life to her research and yes. uh, the committee for missing persons. You know, as she had done in Cyprus. Um, where Costas meets her again, but she now carries this carries yes. on this work in London and interviews Cypriot families yes. relentlessly. Mm. So this idea they're leaving it behind isn't even it isn't even possible for them. They sort of think they are, but they're yes. not um, um, in any way. I think that's, yeah. uh, yes, that's true. Mm. And and Costas does it in in his research. Yes. Um, uh, the tree, yes, I think uh, has is the continuity. And let's them. talk about the tree. I think um, we should say that some chapters are narrated by the fig tree. Yes, and I think it's a sort of literary device that some people could find slightly annoying because the tree is a character all of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually. I have to say, I was very charmed by it. Um, but you, you sort of have to go with it, don't you? The yes. idea that the tree has this memory. And this, I mean, it's, you know, there are lots and lots of symbols. There's the sort of fact that, you know, what does it mean to be ripped out of the ground and transplanted, as mm. the family have yes. been? It's also, it has this, it offers shelter. The tree offers shelter in the in the taverna. And then it offers some sort of shelter, you know, at home in the garden or some mm, sort of yeah. attempt at shelter. And the tree in the end is 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 the all-knowing character, isn't it? Yes. How did you find that? How did that work for you? Well, it changed again, like a bit like um, Ada as a character, uh, uh, the tree, who is a character mm. in, or, um, in the book. That's, I thought at the beginning, that's interesting. Then partway through, I thought, oh, this is getting a bit much. Um, mm. It's getting a bit tedious, although it's crucial to the narrative. But I actually really enjoyed or, or thought the ending was mm. very interesting mm. that in the end only the tree knows the whole story and can tell the whole story. Yeah. And again, going back to this theme of memory and and, and trauma, mm. that uh, what happens very often in these situations um, is that uh, memory becomes mm. selective, selective <clears throat> deceptive, and and stories are retold, mm, and, and mm. yeah, I mean that happens here. That, uh, but there is always this desire for the truth, you know, in the searching. Uh, you know, in, in, there are two crucial scenes in the story where an exorcist is visited through the instigation of Mayam, the the, um, the aunt. But ultimately, who will ever know? the whole truth mm. and be able to tell it mm. um mm. so you need a, a non-human inanimate object or, yes. or a creature um 
Uh, but also, what I thought was interesting was the uh, those are the most poetic um, parts of you know uh, you almost uh. have the contract the contrast of uh, the the beauty yes. um, the the poetic narrative of the tree. And then these really quite disturbing events of the 20th and 21st century, you know, ranging from, you know, the bomb that destroys the tavern and everyday conversations, family squabbles, but also then cyberbullying. Yes, yes. um, Which Abbe experiences. Uh, So I thought it actually worked quite well. And, And there are a number of other kind of, non-human narratives in there i mean i thought the place of food yes um uh, was very interesting very early on we have uh, in the description of the happy fig um we have their menu mm, which is mm, written mm, with sort mm. of great beauty it's almost yes. a work of art in its in its own right yeah. of what these different dishes are and how they're they're prepared and actually how food crosses boundaries yes. because we have the you know the greek man and the turkish man yes. who um run this tavern together yeah. and actually the recipes are very similar yes mm. And uh, later on, um, Mayim teaches Ada to cook, and yes. uh, which becomes a sort of major operation in its own right. She arrives with these yes, enormous the suitcases of, yes, of, of, yes, proper, yes. You know, of, of proper Cypriot yeah. food. And, yes. um, but Ada only knows the, the Greek names for things. And yes. So, she, you know, she's now learning the Turkish names. Yes. Mm. And and food is, is it's, it's all about the nurturing, isn't it, that, yes. that's going on there. But it's also, it's it's where one way of storing cultural memory um, and bringing something alive for Ada that she just hasn't experienced, I think. Yes. Mm. And I think that's quite a sort of healing relationship for her, don't you think, with the sort of loss of her mother that, you know, her aunt sort of steps in. And it's not it's not plain sailing at all, but no. I think there's a great deal of, of healing there, perhaps for all of them, for the family. Well, I think also everybody has... I mean, the other thing that's important is going back to the tree... Um, Everybody has the right and and the need to know uh, their their roots, mm, uh, where mm. they came from. So for Ada, on the one hand, London is all she's ever known, mm. and uh, but uh, she needs to know about her roots, um, about that bit of the story. Mm. And I think that's quite a common theme um, for a lot of people in um, in the twentieth century. And the 21st century, that there is so much displacement Mm. and you either find communities that almost recreate the world they have have lost um, uh, and want to take it with them. But that isn't possible mm, mm, um, mm. because, in many ways, you know, the, their countries of origin yes. um, have changed too. Yes, mm. and um, yes, and I thought there was a real yes contrast between the very sort of urban London landscape um, yeah. where she ends up and the kind of very lush descriptions of Cyprus. Yes, I, um, but I think she needs, she has this need, like everybody, and um, uh, to to know mm. where she came from, who she really is, mm. and this is part of who she is, mm, of what mm. happened to her mm. parents, the circumstance that she obviously has an older sibling, an yes. older sibling who died, whom she will never have known yes. about whose existence she yeah. didn't really know who dies. And there's this very interesting side narrative of the respiratory illness of which this um, child, the, the love child yes. um, of Devna and Costas, 
um, has died, he's given into, she tries to have an abortion, um, but ends up giving the child into care or, or having it adopted by a British family. And of course, that's the other way of how a lot of people have encountered Cyprus. Yes, yes. Is on military service. Yeah. Um, so uh, it is also that the history of Cyprus is part of the history of this island yeah. as well. Yes. And another point you make about um, in your introductory essay is that here we have a Turkish writer, but she chooses to write about Cyprus. Yes. And I, why do you think she made that choice? Well, the other choice she could have made, of course, was the Armenian genocide. And I think she does all the memory or non-memory and the telling and not telling of the story of the Armenian of the Armenian genocide and I mean she comes from a country mm. where it's not even permitted to mention the word genocide mm. and where a lot of people with Armenian origin hide their identities and live as Turks mm. to all intents and purposes um, and then often discover that they have roots mm. in mm. the Armenian community um, so it's on the one hand you know the simple explanation would be you know, it, it could make life in um, in Turkey very difficult mm, for her. Mm. Well, she lives in London um, most of the time. It's also been done quite mm, a lot. I mm. mean, it's a constant theme in Orhan Pamuk's novels mm, um, mm. And, and a number of contemporary Turkish writers. Well, I think it's this story of the forgotten mm, um, mm. narrative yes. um, yeah. that uh, makes it interesting. Um that there needed to be a connection with life in in London and people who live with these forgotten mm, conflicts mm, um, mm. and uh, are crossing boundaries between different cultures, different societies, um, even when they're far away. Yeah. Um, and of course, as we now have not only a, a Cypriot community who's now very established mm, yeah. um, uh in, in this country, I was traveling in Turkey last year um, and I asked people about the Syrian refugees and they said, well, they kind of, you don't really see them very much uh, because they look like yes. you know, yes. Turkish people and they're, they're much more integrated to some extent and probably not yes. in, in other ways. I mean, that's an oversimplification sure. um, as, a, as it always is. Um, so I think it's very... It's a very interesting choice, mm, um, mm. a left field choice, yes. um, but also very interesting and, and not going for the obvious. Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, and you also, in your essay, you refer to the, the biblical phrase of the, you know, the sins of the fathers that haunt yes. generations. Mm. And you say very interestingly, there's another way of looking at it, and that's the trauma of the mothers. Tell me a bit more about what you were thinking about there. Well, I did a couple of years ago try and um, do some work in, in trauma theology and because I was very interested in in this topic from the point of view of the two or three generations of uh, people living in, in Germany whose grandparents had yeah. uh, experienced the war, uh, the Second World War, the enormous trauma of losing their homes, of mass migration on a scale that you know find hard to to imagine um having to start again mm. but then also what impact did that have on their uh, on my parents generation mm. on mm. the uh, people who were born in the 1940s often in the last years of the war who grew up with their parents memories mm. and traumas mm. Mm. and then 
the third generation of people who carry these memories within themselves, but who are also discovering bits of family history that were never told, Mm. like a grandfather who was involved in mass killings mm. in you know in, in the east uh, mass slaughter of, of Jews um, and there's a very interesting observation by somebody called Katharina von Kellenbach who was one of the feminist theologians who talked about holocaust theology where she talks about her experience of raising a story like this in her family of a, a great uncle and and is really shouted down uh, by other members of the family as a, as a 13 year old you know, he he was doing his job. He did his his best, and she then says, "Well, if he'd killed one per murder, killed one person in a bank robbery or something, mm. had gone to prison, the fact he would have been totally disgraced, and mm. Mm. nobody in the family would ever have mentioned his name again. Mm. But because this was far away, um, it was done in uniform. There's this level of okay. co- yeah. collusion. Mm. So I was very interested in this story, but also, I mean, the men had their experience of the war, which in a sense was explicit and out there um uh visible for yeah. for everyone while the women in some ways carried on doing what they had always done a lot of their stories couldn't be told a third of or the the small um smaller end of the estimation is that a third of um all german women were raped by russian soldiers and there will be similar stories everywhere you know, in every mm. conflict, uh, when we talk about the Syri- refugees who come from Syria, who now come from Ukraine, you know, we now have children of refugees from Ukraine mm. in our schools. And, and hear very similar narratives from teachers mm. about children who just scream or um, mm. who find it difficult mm. to integrate and to settle because they have seen things, experienced things that um, nobody... Should no child yes. and no human being should ever experience, and for which there are no words. Um, but I thought the sins of the fathers, who uh, you know, that's a very male way of expressing mm. it. But mm. the trauma is carried in the body mm. and often not articulated yes. through words and can't be healed yes. through through words. And mm. sometimes literally carried yeah. by women, isn't it? And, and of course, yeah. we talk about the church as the body of yes. Christ. We use in in Christian theology a lot of body language. Mm. So. Mm. Um, at a time when the church has to face uh, or is facing a lot of its own uh, traumatic history mm, of mm, uh, mm. the scandals around abuse um, and and there's a lot of loss of trust. I think we need to, in, in the 80s, people said the body of Christ has AIDS. I think we need to be able to say the body of Christ um, is traumatised mm, or carries mm. the trauma but also carries the source of healing. Yes, mm. and the cost of not addressing that trauma is is worse. You you can't yes. you know you can ignore these things for so long, but actually they they pop up, don't they? They you know that's not to trivialise it. They are there. The scars are very deep. Aren't yes, they, of, of that sort mm. of trauma. Um, I think we're in danger of making this sound a really depressing read, but I don't I don't mm. think it is. I think it's I mean it's hugely poignant and there are some yes. very moving passages and there's there's absolutely there's trauma in it. But there's also in my view there was a lot of beauty in it. It's very poetic, very beautiful and it doesn't dismiss oh there the the tourists who go and and see this island and enjoy its yeah. beauty because I think there's also a lot of pride yes and in in what makes the island beautiful and what makes life 
beautiful and one could mm. dismiss this as nostalgia. Mm. Mm. But in some ways, the, the conflict is something that comes in from the outside. Um, you know, again, we go back to the importance of food. Costas' yes. mother, who makes a living with these carrot yes. trees that she has as her own source of income. Yusuf and Yorios, who uh, run the the tavern yes. um uh, so there's a lot to to be enjoyed yes um so but of course that always happens in yes. that people don't stop loving because yeah. there's a war yeah humanity would have died out a long time ago if yeah. there wasn't love and, and and beauty even in in these really horrible and painful times mm. and and did you feel it ended on a hopeful note overall the book i think it did because mm. the tree in a sense is the one who has survived yeah. it all and um in whom new life is possible and in the same way as there is the possibility of new life which is yeah. what costas indefinite yes. have come to seek in in london um, yes i think new life and a new generation is also possible in someone like like Ada. Yes, mm. yes. No, that you know, who will now go and yeah. visit Cyprus, you now has a relationship yes. with her mother's family and, and with her past. Yes. But it's a it's a life giving relationship that isn't just looking for the past but carries on some of the traditions yeah. um you know of making food but also of you know some of the superstitions and folk beliefs yes. that, beliefs that, that always exist. So we've been talking about the Island of Missing Trees. There's lots in there. You can read Natalie's introductory essay and find some questions for discussion in the Church Times. And Natalie, we always ask people to recommend something they've been enjoyed recently. And you've brought us a book that was partly inspired, I think, by reading this Island of Missing Trees. Tell us what you've chosen yes. for us. Um, again, slightly left field. I would like to talk about Krista Wolf's Cassandra, which was written in the 1980s. Krista Wolf was one of the um, main East German writers, novelists um, of a generation that dealt with the trauma and the silence of the generation of parents who had lived through the Second World War and who just wanted to forget. And then, um, but that wasn't really possible. By the 1980s, she then turns to the present um, and very interestingly does so through the retelling of a Greek myth. Cassandra, um, one of the great uh, mythological figures of, of Greek mythology, um, who's a prophetess, um, but so she has the gift of prophecies given by the gods, the gift of prophecy and the curse that she will never be believed. So uh, she warns about the impending war, mm. uh, gets involved with some of the, the male characters, but in the end finds solace and identity among the women um, who follow some of the old practices mm. of faith. Kibile, the uh, goddess of fertility, is, is mentioned, who's secretly still um, honoured and, and venerated by the women. Um, so it's a very interesting novel and the connection with um, the island of, of missing trees is that Costas as a biologist 
sees very early on in the 1970s some of the early warnings of of climate Mm. change in the 80s it was the danger of of nuclear war Mm. of of the cold war potentially escalating um which is something christa wolf could never have addressed addressed directly um but she can do it through the retelling Mm. of this um myth uh, this greek myth um which is is about the present Mm. and, and that's something people have done time and time again um, in, in a slightly different way. Orwell does it in, in Animal Farm, mm-hmm. uh, that he is talking about the present. But, yes. Uh, you know, chooses inanimate characters, while Christoph chooses uh, mythological characters. Again, there's a lot of beautiful language and um, beautiful uh, description. I actually wrote my A-level exam about this novel, but the sentence here, uh, as, as Cassandra walks back to the fortress of Makini, which she will never leave, uh, the, mm. the opening sentence of the novel, here it was, was here she stood, these lions of stone uh, looked back at her. Um, that has always kind of mm, stayed mm, stayed mm. with me. So you know, it's vintage. It's it's a virago. Uh, and this classic. edition is published with with some essays as well. Uh, isn't yes, it? Uh, Christoph Wolf in the early nineteen eighties um, went on a research trip to to Greece, which mm. was something quite unusual yes. for uh, anybody from East Germany being allowed to do. So she, the essays reflect her research and her observations, and I think some of the, um, uh, in a more obvious way, some mm. of the connections mm. to her life in in the present uh, of the time in the early nineteen eighties, during the Cold War. So it was they were presented as lectures originally, um, and and the fifth novel was uh, or the the fifth lecture was the novel. Mm. Um, so the English edition has the novel first, and then the than the essays, but uh, uh, so it's a very interesting insight into the yeah the practice of writing a novel and and shaping yes a narrative yes mm. fascinating thank so, you very much yeah. I will definitely look out for that Natalie thank you very much we've been talking about the island of missing trees by Alif Shafak which I think we would recommend to you all I mm-hmm. hope you enjoy it thank you yeah, thank you thank you for listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the church times you can try your first 10 issues for just 10 pounds you'll get the paper delivered to your door every friday plus full access to our website and digital archive go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more